So, jumping into our series, get, get to the work now. I, I've, I've really enjoyed this series that we're doing. Um, it has really been good for me to go back and to watch and to see, okay, am I still going through the processes? Am I still doing what I need to do to grow or to possess what God has for me next? Does anybody want to go beyond where they are and possess what God has for them next? Okay, to, to do that, then you have to go back through the process. And the process continues over and over. And we, we look at it as, well, I went through it one time, so I'm good. No, it's from glory to glory to every step. So let's turn in our Bibles, because today I'm going to be biting off quite a chunk. I'm going to bite off chapter 19 and chapter 20 of the book of Exodus. Now, I'm not going to preach every word for word, but this morning, that's where we're going to be. And let me catch us up to where we are for those that need to be caught up or just understand where we're at in this process of moving toward my possessions or reaching a point where I possess what God intends for me to possess. So we started off with the first thing that we have to establish in our mind is that God rules over all, that God controls all. He is in, in control of everything. He reigns. He is supreme. He is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. He is Lord. He is in control of everything, reigns over everything. And when he comes to Israel... This is what he does. He sets Pharaoh up. He establishes Pharaoh as the, as the greatest uh, king of his time. There, there's no one greater. He's got hundreds of chariots. He's, he, there's no, no army that's going to compete with him. He, he is the biggest kingdom. We still to this day, because of all the things that Egypt was doing and all the things Egypt was in that time period, we still go and see pyramids or we go and see all the different things that they built and things. There. They were at that time untouchable as a kingdom. And God says, I allowed all of that to take place just so that when I came on the scene and I overthrew Pharaoh, no one would question my power. In fact, we find out later that when Israel finally makes it over to Canaan, they hear about it even in Canaan. They already said, we heard what you did, what your God did to the Egyptians. We heard what your God had done to Amalekites. We heard even before you got, we were already afraid of you before you ever got here. Why? Because the first thing God establishes in our life is a fear of God. Why do you think the world is in such a hurry to remove Jesus from prayer? Why do you think they want it out of school? Why do you think? Because it brings fear. It's not something they can put it beside them and feel comfortable. Anytime God enters the room, it causes every other thing to cause it to back up and say, we don't want that. We can't stand before that. Because when God enters, that all of a sudden establishes that I am the greatest, the most powerful that there is in the universe. And God says, you can't go anywhere with me until that's been established that I am am the Lord. Secondly, we learned that God purchased you. If he's almighty, then he's come and you didn't choose him, he chose you. So this morning, you were bought with a price. You've been purchased. You're not your own. We know that from New Testament scripture. But in the Old Testament, God said the same thing to Israel. He said, I have purchased you. You are my purchased possession. I have bought you. I bought you out of the slavery of Egypt. We have been bought from sin. But Israel was bought from Egypt, and we call that word saved. 
So we asked the question, are you really saved? Are you really, not, not just, Lord, forgive me of my sins, are you saved? Did he take you from where you were, and did he deliver you from it? Because listen to me, no matter how much you want to follow God, until he saves you, you can't make the next step in your life. The enemy doesn't mind you coming to church as long as he knows that you're still going to go home and look at pornography for two hours. He doesn't care if, if you come to church and say, hey, God loves me and I love Jesus and I love singing the praise music. If you're going to go and, and, and be on Facebook and gossip and, and, and all the other stuff that you can do or, or hang out in places you don't need to hang or drink or do or all the stuff you know you don't need to be doing. If God has not saved you from the stuff that has you bound, then that's where you're at. You can't go any further until God has saved you. Not just forgiven, but saved. And God saved Egypt, took them across the Red Sea, drowned Pharaoh's army. He said, you will see Pharaoh no more after this day. Pharaoh ain't coming after you no more. You have been saved. Thirdly, we learn that he's called us then to run to him if he's all-powerful, if he's purchased us, then he's asked us to be obedient, to obey. Obeying doesn't simply mean just, just doing every little detail. or every. It's not talking about it like that. It's saying that when I am doing life, when I run into issues, run to him. What does he do? He carries them to bitter waters. He carries them to places there's no food. He takes them into a desert. Because what he's trying to do is up until that time, they have relied on Egypt for everything. When they get into trouble, what do they think back to? Oh, I wish we were back in Egypt. Oh, back when we had cucumbers and had leeks. And Why? Because they were still attached mentally to what took care of them. Why is it? Because if, if you don't come out and you don't allow God to save you, then here's what's going to happen. The first time you hit a bump or a trouble or a struggle, you're going to think, man, I just need to get high. Why? Because you haven't got it out of you yet. Why did God put me here to get it out? I just need to go get drunk. I need to call some friends. I, 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 need, I need to just go get away from everybody. I just need to isolate myself. Whatever it is you used to do, whatever Egypt used to be, if you haven't got it out of you, then you're going to go back to it. So when trouble comes, what is it that pulls at you? That's what we learned, obedience. Lastly, last week, once God can get us to be obedient and he understands we're saved, he understands he's Lord, then he can teach us how to war. We learned that we use him as our banner in every battle. So that when something does attack us, when something does come against us, the Lord is our banner. He is what we hold up. And we talked about how if I hold a banner up, you see that banner coming way before I get there. And he said, you use me as the banner of your life. You hold me up before every situation, every circumstance. So that even before the battle gets there, it's the Lord's. I am your banner. You don't ever ask the question, how am I going to deal with this? You're not. How am I going to get through this? You're not. 
Because you have a banner that you're holding up every day. It's never about you. You've already been bought, right? You've been purchased. Life's not about you. And I can see how excited you are that you're just excited to hear what I got next. Like, this is so good so far, Pastor. You're killing us. Well, let's jump into it. Now we're at a, at a very pivotal point. Go with me to chapter 19 of Exodus, and let's begin to read verse 1, and I'm going to work my way through to set the foundation for what I need to, to say. And we're just going to stop along and, and work through it. Is that okay? I don't really have any points this morning, but I need to walk through the Scriptures themselves and show you how God is walking Israel into something. So I've learned to war, I've learned that he's Lord, I've learned to be obedient, I've learned, so what do I need to learn now? Look at the person beside you and say, now you know enough to make a commitment. Everything you've been in in your life, everything you've gone through, everything you've faced, everything you've endured, you've been through enough, seen enough, that you're at a point right now, and some of you are at this point, been stuck at this point for years and years and years, and you keep, keep thinking, well, I'll just I'll go to church. That's not the commitment. Well, well I'll, I'll, just, I'll just start trying to do That's not the commitment. In your mind, if I was to tell you, you know God's God, and you know God saved you. I know, brother Lord. You, you, know, you know he's Lord. I know. You're not arguing any of those points. The problem is, is why am I still stuck right here, still not doing the things I know I should do or living the way I should live or being the person that I should be? And it's not because God has not done enough. It's not because God needs to do more because everything beyond this will be your commitment. This is one of the, the monumental moments in the story and it's also a monumental moment in your life. Let me show you in scripture what we're talking about. Go to chapter 19, beginning at verse 1. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. Next verse, and Moses went up to God. Now understand this, this is the very mountain that God and Moses met. And God told Moses, he said, when you deliver and when you bring the children of Israel out, I want you to bring them back to where? To this mountain. I want you to bring them back to this mountain where they will meet me. Now, what was supposed to happen was that all the things that Moses had learned, they were supposed to have learned by the time they got to the mountain. See, Moses had spent 40 years trying to live it his way, had spent 40 years in, in God tearing him to pieces and tearing him up to where he's this stuttering, incapable, unable to do it person so that God says, now you're ready. Why? Because now you know I'm Lord. Now you know you can be obedient to me. Now you know I saved you. Now you know that, that you can war. You can do whatever I've asked you to do. What I ask you to do is what you do. That's why he was able to go to Pharaoh because he had those things established in his life. And by the time he meets God at Mount Sinai and he sees a burning bush and he talks to the God and has to take off his shoes, Moses is saying, oh, I can't wait till I get the people here and they get to meet God the way I 
I met God. Let, let me tell you something. Has anybody ever said, oh, if I can just get somebody to my church, it'll, it'll fix them. Oh, if I could just get them to that revival, it would change their life. Has anybody ever said, oh, I, I, I sent you this song just because I was listening to it and I, I mean, it just, I've been crying all day and I know you would love it. And then you ask the person two days later, hey, did you listen to that song? No, I hadn't listened to it yet. Doesn't that just bother you? Well, can you imagine Moses who's, who's thinking to himself, oh, if I can just get these people to understand and to be in the presence the way I was in the presence. I mean, man, I had to take my shoes off. I mean, I, I put my pant in. I had leprosy, put it in. I had it in there. I'm telling you, if I can get these people to drop their sticks and it turn into a snake and they pick it up by the tail and it turns back into a stick, these people are gonna get it. They are going, man, we just need to have a worship service. We need to have an experience. We need to have, but listen to me, commitment has nothing to do with experience. It has to do with the preparation before the moment arrives. If you are prepared before the moment, see Moses was prepared for the burning bush. He was prepared for all that God was fixing to ask him to do. He was prepared. He was already broken. He already knew I can't do it. He told God multiple times, send someone else. I can't do it. But God said, no, no, you're just right now. You're just where I need you to be. I can put my power on you because you will rely on me. Anytime in Egypt when Moses got into trouble, what did he do? He ran, found God. He just run to God. God, why'd you send me here? They, they, I, I told them to let them go. They took the straw. Well, now they got to make bricks without straw. God, why'd you send me here? Pharaoh won't listen to me. And each time God would fix it, send another plague. What was he doing? He was teaching him how to war. Moses, what are you supposed to tell him? That the Lord said to let his people go. Hold up your banner, Moses. See, Moses had learned all of that. The question is, have you? Have you learned all of that yet? Because there's a reason why God is putting you through it. And there's a reason why God keeps repeating it in your life. Whether you fail or not, he'll just keep repeating it. He's not going to change it. Because what he's trying to do is get you to a point to where he can do something with you that he can't do with you as long as you're stuck. Here's what he says. And Moses went up to God and the Lord called him from the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. If I had time, I would, I would tell each one of you, turn around to the person beside you and give them a testimony of what God has done for you. Just tell them one story. One thing he brought you through, one miracle. See, no, no person ends up in this room without God having revealed himself to you. You're here today because God has delivered you from something. Maybe your past, maybe your struggles, maybe your addictions, maybe all of it. I relate. But the fact is, is that nothing in my mind says, no, God didn't, no, oh, God did. And how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. See, 
Tell them they didn't get here by themselves. They didn't, they didn't walk through a desert. I carried them through the desert. They didn't survive those months in the desert. I fed them. I gave them water. I'm the one that took care of them. We keep talking about I, what I've done, how I've done this, and I've served the Lord. No, you've been carried the whole time. Your whole life. And let me tell you something. If you survive tomorrow, you'll be carried tomorrow. You may not realize it or understand it, but you who can't make your heart beat and can't make your hair grow and can't do anything about yourself, you're the same person that God says, I woke you up today. And I'm the one that'll watch over you when you're sleeping. I'm the one that's brought you to this point. I brought you with eagle's wings to this point. Now, therefore, if you... What? Notice, at this point in your journey, God cannot make you go further. He can't. When every one of you reach this point of the journey, the only question will be the same question that all of us that have ever gone through it had to answer. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my... Now, here's the, here's the kicker. God has not told them the covenant yet. They don't have no Ten Commandments. They don't have over 300 and something laws yet. When God comes to you at this moment in your life, listen to me very carefully. I know I'm teaching a lot today. It's very important that you catch this. When God comes to you at this moment in your life, it is not about your circumstances. It is not about what's good or what's bad. It's about a decision that what he's done, I trust him for what he'll do. And many times, like you're standing around Mount Sinai, you are in a desert when you're standing there. You're standing around, not, not Rephidim. Remember, he left them Rephidim. If they had asked, if he'd have said in Rephidim, hey, make a decision whether you'll trust me. And they're thinking, well, we got water coming out of a rock and we got food falling from the sky and we got quail coming down when we need it. I'm in. No, no, no. I want you to come to the mountain. And I want you to come to the wilderness of Sinai. And I want you to make a decision. And this decision will determine everything that we do from this moment on. We can go no further until you make a decision. That's why I said some of you in this room, you've been stuck at this place for years. You've been stuck here for years. Not, not that you don't love God. Not that He didn't, quote, save you. Not that, not that He hasn't answered prayers when you got in trouble and He got you out of them. Or, not that. God loves you. But you can go no further until you standing at Sinai can look at Him and say, I don't even know what all you're fixing to ask me to do. I don't even know what you're fixing to put on my life. I don't know where I'll end up, and I don't know, but I'll tell you this much right now. I am committed to you. Even if you scare me to death, I'm committed to you. And this is what God asked. 
Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure. See, people have been telling you for years, oh, you're, you're, you're the apple of God's eye. You're, you're such a treasure. Maybe. And then maybe you're not. Maybe you're the one he stands on the porch every day. Is that kid ever going to get back home? Or maybe you're the, the other son that's out in the field complaining that you got to work while everybody else doesn't have to. The fact is, is that he says you will be then a special treasure above all people. For the earth is, is mine. And you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children. He says, Moses, now go down and I want you to ask them, is this okay? Are they good with this? Because we can go no further until they answer this question. Here's what happens. And you shall be to me a priest. Go to the next verse, verse 7. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and laid before them all the words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do it. Now we know they're lying. Anybody ever lied to God? Yep. How did that happen, Brother Lot? How did I end up lying to God? Well, because you did not realize He was Lord. And you did not let him save you. You did not run to him in every situation and problem and obey him. And you did not use him as the banner in the little battles that God has brought before you so far. And because you have not done it, you thought this is just an easy yes answer. I'm just going to check the box. And it really doesn't mean anything because the the relationship is going to remain the same. No, it's not. The whole world looks at the church, and the, and the ch- world looks at the church and sees that church. They see the church that's half saved, half obedient, halfway believe he's the Lord. How do you know? I'll tell you, it's very simple. I, I can solve this. God solved this in one quick thing. When COVID-19 did, what did the church do? When the government said, you got to lock the doors, what did we do? Because he was not our banner. He is not our Lord who owns it all and reigns supreme. We may not like it. We may, we may like, well, now we were just trying to be obedient. I don't care what you were trying to do. I'm telling you what you did. What you did was, is you declared to the whole world that Fauci is much more important than God. So therefore, Fauci for the last two years has still been bobbling his lips. While God's been pushed slowly out and churches are closing left and right. Why? Because God said, you came to the mountain and you made a decision. And I told you that everything you had been through to that point was to help you make the decision. Am I the Lord above everything, above everything in this world? Am I a God that is supposed to be feared, a God that's supposed to be loved? If I am, then let me be God. Am, am I, did I save you? Did I deliver you? Did I set you apart? Let let me see if I can explain it this way. Think about these people that are there. Let's break these three things down. They are number one, they are called a 
treasured possession. They are called a treasured possession. Answer me, what does your worldly, fleshly, or just your normal side treasure? You can be honest with me. What is it that in this world or, or that you treasure more than anything else? Your freedom? Do what I want to do? Nobody going to tell me what to do? What do you treasure? The world has thousands of things it can offer you. Pick one. And you've got to imagine that this is unique for this people that's being brought here because, because they're of every nationality nearly, race, background. And God, for the first time, has said, listen, I am fixing to make you a people, and it's not for the first time built on any nationality. Moses marries a woman from Midian, we know that, that when Joseph and all of them came, they had their slaves, they had the others with them that were part of this whole group. We know that when, when even Joseph was in Egypt, that he married an Egyptian woman, had two children, and they had a whole group of people that got married and, and mixed race there. So I want you to understand, this is not some pure breed looking. In fact, Moses later, out of the group that's with them, I mean, he doesn't go off and elope or, or run off. He, he just looks among his camp, and he finds an Ethiopian woman and marries her while he's in the camp. This is the first time that God puts a group of people together and says, not because of your past, your nationality, but because of who I am, I am going to make you a race of people that is different than any other in the world. You will be my treasure. Go with me in your Bibles to Romans 14 and 8. Let me show it to you this way. Here's what the apostle says. Romans 14 and 8. For if we live, we live what? And if we, we die to the Read it now, because this is, this is your commitment. This is what we did during COVID and other situations. This was the scripture that was, we were told to live by. If you live, you live unto the... But if you die, then you make sure you died unto the... No one's going to determine my life or death except for the... Well, we can't go back and fix that one, can we? We're just going to have to live with that one. But we had scripture that you are a different people. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the... You know... <laughs> you know what the life expectancy was in 1930? 50 years old. 
If someone lived to be 50 years old, they lived to be an old man. Now people whine because they can't make it to 90. Not that they can do anything. Most times they're just stuck in a house next to a heater for the last 10 years of their life anyway. It ain't like they got no real good life. But God forbid that we would die and have to go on to heaven. Do you understand how much we've bought into the world? Somebody said, how long you want to live, Brother Lot? Till I can't go. And then I'm ready to go. I have no 80-year plan. 60 is fine with me. If 1930, they got it all done and made a pretty good living and raised kids, by the time they were 50, then 60, I ought to be a little bit slower. I ought to be able to get it done. I don't need to be here for my third generation of grandkids and them sitting there taking pictures of me. <laughs> hey, get up next to Papa. Take a picture with Papa. Papa, I don't even know who you are. We're the only group of people that talk about dying and going to heaven and hate it. If you live, you live unto the... And if you die, you die unto the... But whether you live or whether you die, let it be unto the Lord. Let it be everything that you've got with all of your strength, with all of your might, with all that you have. Let it be unto the Lord. When did we lose that? when we stop seeing ourselves as a precious possession of God's. We possess God, God don't possess us. So we just tell God what we need when we need it, and we do what we want to do. But listen to me, you are His possession. We are the Lord's. That's going to be the rudest awakening for people one day, that you actually, all of your life, belong to the Lord. You're a treasured possession. Number two, you were called to be a kingdom of priests. Do you know, when he brought them to Sinai, the purpose was not to, not to have Aaron and others as the priests. The goal was is that every person would be a priest. That every family would have priests inside of it. That everybody would talk to the Lord. That everybody would have a relationship like Moses did. That's what Moses was looking for. That's why he was so excited. Like, guys, we're here. Man, this thing is fixed to be good. You are his possession. Man, you are his precious. He's got, look how he took care of me. Pharaoh couldn't kill me. The desert couldn't kill me. He's got some awesome things. He's got Canaan for us. We are his prized possession. And not only that, we are his priests. We, we are the ones that stand before him. We are the ones who represent him. We hold up his banner. We walk into battles that he's going to win for us. We are his kingdom. Go with me in your Bibles to Revelations 5 and 10. This is what eventually now in the New Testament we are supposed to live Here's what it says, Revelations 5 and 10. And have made us and to our God, and we shall on earth. 
That's the kingdom to come. We are preparing ourselves. We are in practice. We are in the presentation, the beginnings of us reigning and ruling on the... So when you're worried about Congress and you're worried about this and worried about what Russia is going to do and all, do you understand that one day if you have your senses right, you will understand that one day I'll be reigning over all this junk anyway. So when somebody says, well, you know, I'm this, that's just temporary. One day when I get on top, it ain't going to flip no more. When I get on top, I'm going to be on top for eternity. Just thought I'd let you know. So you enjoy it that 20 years, you got it. Because the day is coming when I'm going to reign and rule and be a king. You talk about Queen Elizabeth having her funerals and all that stuff. Man, what's it like to be a king? I'm going to get to know. There comes King Tim. He's brothers with Jesus. He's in the family. God's his father. He reigns. He rules. Go, go with me in your Bibles to Revelations 1, 5, and 6. Let me show it to you again. Revelations 1, 5, and 6. Is this okay? I know I'm teaching a lot today. But this is, this is what this transition is at this moment. It's not war anymore. It's not all of that stuff you hopefully have gotten. And got enough of it. I'm not saying you're perfected it yet, but you got enough of it to make an educated decision of who you're going to commit to. Here's what it says. And from Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the, and ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins and his blood has made us has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever. And look at that person beside you. Say, do you know who I am? Look at the person beside you and tell them, I ain't sure who I am. I can't even get my mind around the fact that one day I'm going to rule, reign, own, be in charge of all of it. I'm still down here trying to get rid of headaches. I'm down here still trying to pay a mortgage. Mad because my water pipe busted. I, I can't fathom right now what God says. This is just training ground. This is just the desert area. This is just the Mount Sinai area where it's dry and it's dead and you don't have anything to see. But right now while you're on this side, can you go ahead and make a commitment? Because I have done decided as the Apostle Paul that the sufferings and the trials and the troubles of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in me one day. That's how Paul saw it. That's why he could go through all he went through because he said, this is tough right now, but ooh, it's going to get good one day. It's going to get good. Go with me to 1 Peter 2 and 9, and so we'll, we'll understand it a little more. The, Peter was trying to grasp it, and here's what he says. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own That's not Old Testament. 
That's Peter finally grasping who he is in the New Testament. I can't go into Canaan. I can't go into lands that I don't own yet. I can't go and possess things I don't want until I have made a commitment that establishes who I am in the kingdom. It's his kingdom. I'm in it. So I live under the privileges of being in that kingdom. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So he says that we are a treasured possession. He said, I've called you to this place to make you a priestly people. I've called you to this place to make you then also a holy nation. Go, go to me to Exodus 20. And I don't have time to deal with all this today, but this is where we get to verses 1 through 17, what we call the Ten Commandments. So if God says, I'm going to make you a holy nation, you are my treasure, you are priests, but I need you to represent me. I need to give you a moral law. A moral law that will establish that you belong to me and that you're in my kingdom. Call it a litmus test. If someone says, well, I'm in the kingdom. Well, let's see. Let's see if you are or not. Just because you say you are doesn't really mean. The Bible says many will say, Lord, Lord, but they ain't no part of no kingdom. There's a bunch of people who say, Lord, Lord. But whether you're in the kingdom, let's, let's look and see. And I don't have time to go through all ten, but we'll just do what Jesus did. Is that easier? Jesus said, I'll break them down into two. He said, the entire law, the entire whole thing that happens at Mount Sinai can be broken down into two distinct laws. So let's take the litmus test. Today, do you love the Lord? And I mean, paraphrase that because, because quickly somebody said, oh, I love the Lord. No, no, no. Do you have actions? Because loving the Lord with all your heart is not just all it says. I need to know, do you love the Lord with all of your heart? Do you love him more than anything else in this world? More than this world itself? Do you love him more than any person? Anything, any possession. Would you sell it all tomorrow if God says, hey, I need you to do it? Or is there something you treasure more than him? Because the law is real simple. I want you to love me with all of your heart, with all of your soul. It means your, your, your very being, your thoughts. See, Israel could not do this because their thoughts, their heart betrayed them. Their heart was on leeks, and their heart was on Egypt and the waters of the Nile. And they couldn't, they couldn't, their heart could never settle. God described them as a stiff-necked people. They, they won't turn their heart toward me. I love God until I meet the next guy or the next girl or I get a job and I don't have time to come to church no more. It, 
Do you love God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength? What would you put? Well, I kind of, a little bit, I kind of do. I mean, but you know, you know what you did yesterday. You know what you did last night before you, did you, did you say, I got to get to bed because I got to be ready for church in the morning. I got, or did you like, well, I hope I get up in the morning. If I don't, I'll catch second service. If I don't catch that, I'll just listen to pastor at six o'clock tomorrow night. I'll get it. I'll get it somehow. Because when he asks for a commitment, he says, I need you to love me. With, I want you to be a holy nation. This is how we impact our world. I need them to know that you love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And of course, he goes through, don't covet, don't have any other gods, don't go. We know the Ten Commandments. The first five of them deal with loving God. The second five of them deal with also, as Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor better than you love yourself. Care about others more than you care about yourself. That's the reason when we do this serve next Sunday, that's very important to us. Why? Because we cannot be who we're called to be unless we learn that. You can't learn that sitting in church. You can't learn that any other way. You've got to serve. You've got to find ways in which you can love other people more than you. God gave you a lawnmower. Find somebody's yard. You can mow with it. God gave you talents. Find somebody who needs those talents. You can cook. Cook something for somebody. Serve. Love. Do good. Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving others. This is the litmus test. This is the next chapter of chapter 20, verses 1 through 17, where God calls them to be a holy nation. Here's the problem. Go with me to verse 18. Something happens in chapter 20. See, I've done preached half, I'm almost through. You didn't think I'd go through two chapters of the Bible this quick. Here's what it says. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings and the lightnings and flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, this is what we do. You speak with us and we will hear it. But let not God speak with us lest we... That's why we come to church. Because we ignore God the whole week. I just don't, I just don't want to deal with God. Then we come to church. Boy, Pastor Lot, that was a good sermon. Man, you stepped on my toes today. I'm, I got a lot to think about. I got a lot to work on. I'm like, hey, if you just open your ears, I didn't tell you nothing. God ain't been yelling at you all week. You just didn't want to hear God, and God said to him, I'm going to give you a sermon to preach. God, I don't need this sermon. Yeah, but there's some that will. So go ahead and preach it to him. So in our lives, they said, listen, Moses, you speak with us, 
and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. Because here's the thing. God is holy. God didn't quit being holy because Jesus died on the cross. God is still holy. He still chastises those that he loves. He's still in the business of making you into the image of his son, Jesus, who was perfect. So if you say, well, I'll never be perfect. Well, it ain't because God ain't going to wear on you. Because his whole purpose in life is to make sure until you die, God says, well, ran out of time. He's like, I'm trying to get you to perfection. That's the goal, to get you to perfection. Verse 20, and Moses said to the people, do not look at that person beside you and say, don't be afraid. And I know we all macho, we just, I ain't afraid of nothing. Yeah, you are. I'm terrified of standing before God. I am terrified of having to know. It's easier to talk to a preacher or talk to a pastor or talk to somebody. And it's different when I have to just stand before God and kneel and pray. That's why we ask people all the time, hey, y'all pray for me. Because we don't want to do it. Right? The Bible says if you're afflicted, you've got to pray for yourself. Well, I don't want to do that. Y'all pray for me. Now, if you're sick, got a disease, then we're supposed to pray for you. But if you just messed up in the head, you just got some real messed up theology. You just miserable because you miserable living the life you're living. Let me tell you what you got to do. You got to pray. You have got to get before God who is this mighty awesome God and you have to with fear and trembling. When he talks about fear, he's not talking about being afraid that I don't love you or afraid, but it means understand I am holy. And therefore, when you come before me, all the junk that you use around your friends and all the stuff you use to cover and all the stuff you use to deflect, it don't work when you walk in my presence. All of a sudden now you're undone and you're open like Isaiah of old. You walk into me, no matter who you are and what you've been before, when you walk in my presence, you fall like dead. You declare first, I am unclean and I'm unworthy of being here. God, I don't belong here. And God says, look, I'm not against you. I'm trying to do something, but I'm glad you recognized who you are because I can work with someone who recognizes who they are. And so this fear that they have is we don't want to deal with God. We don't want to have to deal with God in this situation. How do you know that that's in them, Brother Lot? Because when Moses disappears shortly, they're going to build a golden calf. They're going to start having parties outside. They're going to start doing all kind of crazy things. Why? Because they're like, we don't want God in our heart. We don't want anything because if we go up that mountain. We'll die on that mountain. We will die if we go up there. That's right. You'll die. All that stuff in you will die. All that stuff that that doesn't belong will die. Anything earthly will die. You're going to have to be like Moses. Moses said, it's good to go up that mountain. Hey, let's go up the mountain together. And they're like, no, 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 no. We don't want to go up that mountain, Moses. And Moses says, but God's up there. And if you meet God, man, if if your God is who he's supposed to be, you're going to enjoy the presence of God. Yeah, but we don't want that God. We don't want that God. We want to leave here today and do what we want to do and watch what we want to watch and sing what we want to sing and live the way we want to live. And if we get into trouble, we'll call on you, Pastor Lot. That's what the children of Israel were saying. 
So how do you fix it? Well, and Moses told the people, fear not, for God has come to test you. (laughs) And that is fear may be where? Paul said later in the New Testament, he said, I don't need any one of you to judge me or keep an eye on me. He said, I got a bigger problem to deal with. I got to answer to God. So if you thought I woke up this morning worried about what you think, you have badly mistaken life. The only thing I got to worry about is what God thinks. And what God has written and what God has asked me to, Tim, do you love me that much? Tim, do you love others that much? Verse 21. So the people stood afar off. Look at that person beside you and ask them, where are you standing? If you had to describe right now your relationship with the Lord, and I'm not trying to pick on you, I'm I'm just being honest. If I had to ask you, describe for me your walk with the Lord. Your prayer life. And prayer life does not mean, oh, I cry to God for a whole bunch of stuff all the time. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just spending hours in praise and thanking Him for all He's doing and all He's done and all He's going to do. and Just just being in His presence. So the people stood afar off. Why do we need to go? We got Moses. Why do I need to go? I got somebody who will reach God if I get in trouble. I don't need to have that kind of relationship. I don't have to do that. I don't have to change. But Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. That is one of the most powerful scriptures in all the Bible. While there's one group that says, I don't, I'm not ready to do that. Hey, I like going to church. I love the music. I, I need to get in a life group. I want, I want to be a part. Pastor, I, I'll just stay over here. And what I want to tell them is, do you know that you're stuck in a desert? You'll never get out of it. You know you're just going to keep making circles in this life for the rest of your life, and you're never going to get anywhere. Well, maybe I... No, no, no. I want you to be very open to understanding. You will spend the rest of your life making circles and never achieving what you were meant to achieve. See, I'm afraid of God. I fear Him. But I fear that more. Job said it well. He said... When God rises up, the God in whom mountains melt before, the God, when He rises up and visits me, what will I answer Him? See, I fear that a lot more. What will my life say? What will they say about me? What will they, in heaven one day when I walk down the street, will they say, well, there's Tim Lott, because you're going to be known as you're known. There's Tim Lott. 
Boy, he did some things. Or there's Tim Lott. Boy, he made a lot of circles in Forest. Just kept making circles. Finally died. So how do I fix it, Brother Lott? If you this morning are not there yet, there are times in my life I'm not there yet because I told you God resets it and says, all right, let's go through it again. And I get to Mount Sinai and I'm like, God, so how do I get there? Next verses, verse 22 through 26. Here's what it says. God flips the script. God knows their hearts. He knows that they may not be as ready as they need to be. And he says, how do I get them there? Here's what he says. Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus shall you say to the children of Israel, You have seen that I have, I have talked with you from heaven. So don't, don't, don't act like we haven't talked. I've talked to you. We've had conversations. You shall not make anything to be with me. He said, first step. If you're in this room today and you say, Pastor, I'm not ready, just not ready yet. Let me tell you the first thing that you have to make sure that you don't do to mess your life up until you get ready is don't make anything equal to God. Because if you get to this point and you say you're not ready and you don't make that decision, then you're going to build a calf. You're going to find something to make it a God. So he said, listen to me. I know you're afraid. And I know you're not ready. I know you don't believe I've actually saved you yet. You don't believe I'm the Lord yet. You don't believe I can win every battle for you yet. You don't believe. Then listen. Don't make any gods of silver or gold that you should not make for yourselves. Isn't it amazing? Two chapters from now, first thing they do, they make a golden calf. An altar of earth you shall make to me. He said, if you make an altar, if you make something, you make it just of pure earth, rocks. And here's the way I want it. And you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep of your oxen. In every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will. Isn't it amazing that even right here where God knows they're afraid, they're struggling, he says, here, here's what, if you just won't build something bigger than me and you'll still just hang in there and make me God, I'll reroute this thing and I will keep blessing you until it finally dawns on you that I am God. That's how loving God is. That's why some of y'all been in this routine and you're thinking, but I'm doing okay, Brother Lot. No, you're not doing okay. You're just God is blessing you because you hadn't went off the reservation yet. You just hadn't built a calf yet. And the enemy keeps pushing you to. Hey, go ahead. Go ahead and sleep with that. Go ahead and do some of that. Hey, everybody's got to have some fun. God's not going to come through. You, you, you need, he'll give you all sorts of options to say, 
turn from God. And I record my name, I will come to you and will bless you. And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of cut rocks, hewn rocks. Just use the rocks that are there. Don't, you didn't make it. it. You didn't form it. You get no glory from it. I bathe the rock and you just make a, a stack of them. For if you use your tool on it, you have... I have so much teaching in this. I don't know. You guys are like your brains. Probably like, oh, I don't know what he's talking about no more. I understand. But he's saying this right here. Listen, when you come to me, quit telling me what you did and what you've accomplished. And God, you know what I've done for you. When you come to worship me and you're not ready to commit yet, then don't make nothing bigger than me. And when you do come worship me, if you actually come to church on Sunday and you do this, don't come to church and start talking about all you've done. Don't go cutting the rocks. Just leave it alone. Make your sacrifice and be thankful for what you have. For if you do this, it will profane it. Nor shall you go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. He says you don't build an altar elevated so that when you're walking up it, your nakedness is exposed. Think of it this way. If you're on this stage, you don't want to have no miniskirt on. Because everybody sitting down there can do what? Can see your drawers. He's saying, listen, don't profane it. Let me give it to you in the New Testament. I'll get you out of here. Go with me in your Bibles. 2 Corinthians 11, 2-4. In the New Testament, this is what we have. Paul is working with the Corinthian church. He's trying to, to get them growing. And, and, and here's what he says. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 2 through 4. Paul said, For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. In other words, Everything I'm telling you, I'm telling you because I love you. And I understand what he's saying. I know I've taught you a lot today. I've, I've put some stuff in you. And I want you to know this morning, I do it because I love you. I want you to go in and possess what you... I don't want you walking around a desert the rest of your life never obtaining what God intended for you to obtain. God never intended me to remain on Bank Street just... Flipping and flopping and trying to work through and keeping radios from being stolen out of cars. There's a season for that, but God said, Tim, that's not where I want you to remain. I want you to possess. I want your people to possess. I want them to have nice air conditioning. I, I want them to have a place they can sit with nice chairs and they can sleep through your whole sermon with a coffee in their hand. I want them to have the nicest place possible. I don't want you wondering your whole ministry and your whole life. I'm jealous for you, for I have betrothed you to your husband. In other words, I've introduced you to Jesus. I've introduced you to this walk. I've introduced you to the kingdom. 
For some of you in this room, I'm your spiritual dad. From the time you've been born into this, I've been the one that's tried to say, hey, keep your relationship with the Lord. It's not that your relationship is with me. I've just been the guy who introduced you to the husband that you have, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. In other words, so that I can, can look at you and I can say, God, look at here. Look what you've done in this person. God, only you could have changed. Only you could have broken the sin. Only you could have done. God, look what they are now. In, in Forest, in Scott County, or wherever they are in this area, God, look, look, they, they shine for you, God. And that's because of you. So I get to present them. But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent, deceived Eve by the craftiness so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. My fear is is that because you're getting a little blessed and things ain't as bad as it used to be, I'm good enough, Brother Lot. I'm, for if If he who comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or or a different gospel that you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. He said, my goal is, is that if somebody comes along and is preaching something, speaking something, living something, that you know that does not, Live up to giving God all my heart, my mind, my soul, my strength. That does not line up with loving others. That is not the gospel that was preached to us. That, that's, that's not the God just winking at sin. That's not, he said, my goal is, is that you wouldn't be deceived by somebody or something coming along saying, you don't have to. You can stay down here at the bottom of the mountain And let Moses go up and do all the heavy lifting. And you just cry when you need something. And that'll be your spiritual relationship for the rest of your life. God said, that's not what I called you to be. I called you to be a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. Peculiar to this old world because you handle things and deal with things in ways they can't. I'm going to come back and I'm going to deal with the other half of this. Is that okay? But the first thing that we need to understand as we move into this season of Sinai and all this is your commitment. I'm going to ask you very seriously. And you can say whatever you want to say. Have you made a commitment to God? One that doesn't change. You don't go back on. One that changes your whole life. You go up into the smoke and you don't stay at the bottom of the hill. And just know that whatever you carry through the smoke, it dies. Anything flesh, God said, it touches the mountain, it dies. So whatever it is that you keep hanging in and playing with or 
Just know if you decide to make the commitment, it dies. But that's okay. Because remember what our ultimate goal is. To go in and get our possessions. To possess what was rightfully ours. Our land of Canaan. God said, Tim, when you're over there in Bank Street, will you come up into the smoke? And you know what happened when I went up into the smoke? Stuff died. But that's okay, Tim, because I got some possessions I want you to have. And guys, it's the same for you. Will you stand? In this place today, I'm not here to try to read your mail or guess where you are. Every person knows in their own heart where they're at. God brings us through battles and He brings us through moments. He he saves us. He fights battles for us. He feeds us, takes care of us, totes us on eagle's wings. Well, God, I, Pastor, I like that life. That's not really the life. That's the, as Paul would later say, a carnal Christian's life. A baby Christian's life. One that can't handle meat, it can only take milk. But the goal for your life is that hopefully one day you would commit. I mean commit. Come hell or high water. If I live, I live to the Lord. If I die, that's okay, I die unto the Lord. Whether I live or whether I die, I belong to the Lord. That is the greatest liberation that ever entered my life. I don't have to worry about my locked doors at night. I don't have to worry about somebody jumping me at a gas station. I don't have to worry about all the stuff the world worries about. and I don't have to worry about how the president's going to be or congress is going to do or who's going to get elected next i'm gonna vote for who i think and after that i'm gonna go home watch tv probably a football game and go to sleep you know why because i belong to the lord and that comes with its own privileges if you're in this place today You say, Pastor, I'm one of the ones standing at the bottom of the hill that draws back because of all the commitment. Then I hope until you finally make that commitment that you don't build another God. Your job, your family, your whatever. I hope you don't build no gods. Because they'll drive you crazy and make you miserable. 
And I hope that when you do come to God ever so often, you know, when you need something, I hope you don't try to tell God, now God, you know, I, I do the best. Don't, don't, don't cut the stones. Don't, don't act like something you're not. Just say, God, I need you. I know I don't deserve you, but I need you. And He'll probably bless you one more time. He'll probably help you one more time. But I hope that in one of those moments, you finally realize, I'm tired of this circle. I want to go in and possess what belongs to me. If you're in this place today, you say, Pastor, I'm ready. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you where you're standing, then all you have to do is make a vow. But now don't do this because Israel did this and they weren't ready. I, I want you to know that are you ready because this is the most serious vow you'll ever make in your life. It changes everything. It changed my whole world. But if you're ready, you just say, God, I'm ready to come up into the smoke. I'm ready to come up into your presence. I'm ready to burn off the stuff that don't belong. I'm ready for the addiction stuff to fall off. I'm ready for the things that, that I have held on to too long. I'm ready for Egypt to come out of me. And to me, from this moment on, to be a priest. To be a holy nation. To be in this time your chosen generation. I make my commitment today to draw near you, to run towards you, and not away. If that's you in this place right now, then Father, in the name of Jesus right now, right where they stand, right where they are, just as you touched Moses and me, and millions of others through the years of seeing you, of knowing you. I speak that that moment will take place right now in their life. That right now where they stand, they see you with new eyes and they hear you with new ears. And their fear of you is not a fear that you're going to get them, but it's the fear of the Almighty that goes before their eyes. That you are a loving but holy God. You reign supreme. God, right now, let that commitment, let it be established in Jesus' name. Amen.